Hey, good morning, Christ Church, and welcome. My name is Mike Skunis. I'm on staff here, and usually I am working with our worship teams, our welcome teams, and our youth. And so uh, I'm so glad that you're with us this morning if you're here for the first time. If you have been here before and you're wondering... Where's Pastor Bob? Well, Pastor Bob asked me uh, to speak with you guys this morning because he is taking 11 of our middle schoolers to camp in uh, Story City, Iowa uh, this week. And so you can be praying for him. It's a five and a half hour van ride. So it's a long way. So so I'm excited um, to be here this morning and talking with you guys. And um, we are kicking off um, the second week of the story. And so the story um, is an attempt to um, to condense the Bible and put it in a narrative format. Um, and so we've been doing this for three summers, um, but uh, we are on to the New Testament. And last week, Pastor Andrew did a fantastic job of going over the entire Old Testament narrative in just 10 minutes. And then on top of that, also, <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, it was impressive. Um, and then on top of that, um, told us about the Christmas story. And so, um, The entire Old Testament is leading up to this one burning question that God promises that there will be a person that comes who will be the Messiah, will be the Savior of the world. And so much of what the Old Testament, uh, the prophets speak about and the promises made to Abraham all leads up to this Messiah. But for many, many years, years and years, 400 years go by and there is no Messiah. And so the burning question for the people at the time is, where is this promised Messiah? And now, because there had been much written about the Messiah, people began to create expectations around who the Messiah was going to be. And as Pastor Andrew talked to us last week, these are some of the expectations that people had of the Messiah. The first thing is that he would come as a king. The Jewish people at the time, they were living under oppressive Roman rule, and so they thought that whoever this Messiah would be would come and he would be powerful and he would be from a royal bloodline and he would institute Jewish rule for the Jewish people and kick out the Romans. The second thing that people expected, especially the Pharisees, is they thought he would be a holy and pious man above reproach, that he'd be zealous in his love for God, that he would uphold all 613 of the Jewish commands that were stated in the Old Testament. And the last thing that people were expecting was for the Messiah to be an intermediary, someone who would speak to God on behalf of humanity. And so Pastor Andrew talked a little bit last week about how the Christmas story upends some of those expectations. But today, as we talk about the start of Jesus' ministry, we'll see how Jesus upends those expectations even more. And so the central question, the big question this morning, when we come before Jesus, is, are you my Messiah? And this is such, the, such a big question, is such the central focal question of who is Jesus and what has he come to do, um, that I'm going to ask for a little participation this morning. So whenever I mention the big question, I want you guys to say, are you my Messiah? So let's try it. So the people asked uh, the big question. Are you my Messiah? All right, one more time. The people asked the big question. 
Awesome. And so remember that for today. So Jesus's story doesn't actually begin with Jesus necessarily, but it begins with this guy called John the Baptist. And so we heard about him a little bit in the reading before, but John was this super eccentric guy that he wore camel hair vest and he ate locusts and grasshoppers and honey and he stayed outside the bounds of the the city. Um, A little bit of a crazy guy, but he had this amazing ministry in which he would invite people to be baptized into a baptism of repentance. And furthermore, he also liked to quote the prophet Isaiah a lot, um, bringing good news to the poor and talking about this promised Messiah that was to come. And he also spoke against the ruling authorities and the religious elites at the time. And so John starts to accumulate a following because of this ministry. And as John is accumulating this ministry and all of these followers, people come to John and ask him the big question. And John says, no, I am not the Messiah. And they say, well, who are you? Are you Moses? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. And so they say, well, then who are you? And John replies, I am the voice crying out from the wilderness. You see, the man that I speak of, I am unfit to untie the thong of his sandal. That I come to you baptizing people um, with water, But this man will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. And so it's this setup that Jesus walks into John's life. That John is doing his thing, and all of a sudden Jesus comes, and John instantly recognizes who Jesus is. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here. And so John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and when he does, the clouds part and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus, and all the people that are there are astounded. They are amazed. They are so amazed, in fact, that some of the people who had been following John now start to follow Jesus. One of those people who was following John the Baptist at the time um, and began to follow Jesus was this guy named Andrew. And so Andrew, um, he, the first thing he does is he's like, my brother has got to hear about this. So he goes to his brother, Simon, who we know as Peter. He goes to his brother, Simon, and he says this, we have found the Messiah. And Peter has this incredible faith that just on Andrew's testimony alone, he's like, yep, let's follow Jesus. I believe you, man. Let's do this. Um, But not everybody is so readily able to follow Jesus and give up following whatever they were following before. Um, That people were duly skeptical of this new guy who just walked onto the scene. Um, And so one of the guys that was following John the Baptist, his name was Philip. And so Philip went to look for his best friend, Nathaniel, and he tells him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, Nathaniel is very aware of all the expectations that people have around the Messiah. So his first reaction is not like, okay, cool, let's do this. His reaction is, Nazareth? 
What do you mean Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth is this backwater town in the region of Galilee, and um, the Messiah was supposed to come from a royal bloodline. And so he goes, why would we follow the son of a carpenter from this town of Nazareth? And I love what Philip responds. He says, come and see for yourself. Come see what this guy is doing, and you will be amazed, that you will be convinced. And so um, Nathaniel comes before Jesus, and Jesus recognizes Nathaniel and um, greets Nathaniel. And Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? How do you know my name? And Jesus says, well, I saw a vision of you underneath the fig tree. And I have no idea what significance this fig tree has, but it meant something to Nathaniel because when Nathaniel asks the big question, he says yes, <laughs> and he follows Jesus. So Jesus um, acquires 12 of these followers, these apostles, these disciples, um, that begin to follow him around as he starts teaching and preaching. But one of the things that um, Jesus knows, but everybody else knows, is that his power comes from a different source. That all the people that are expecting the Messiah to be a king, the king's power comes from his subjects, from his armies, from his wealth. But Jesus, his power comes from God. And he's about to demonstrate to the people what that power is. And so Jesus starts performing miracles. And the very first of these miracles, I think, is absolutely hilarious. Because it's not feeding 5,000 people. It's not some miraculous healing. But he turns water into wine at a wedding. And so Jesus and his followers are invited to the wedding at Cana. And um, Jesus' mother Mary is also invited to this wedding. And so all of them are at the wedding. And um, as they are... As they're there, um, the host exclaims after a while, he says, we have run out of wine. This is a disaster. This is a catastrophe. And Mary speaks up and goes to the host and she goes, oh, you know what? My son can help you out. And I love, this is like, this is perfect because it shows how human Jesus is in his mother-son dynamic. But Jesus says, mom... It's not my time yet. It's not my time to reveal to everyone um, the signs that are to come. And in perfect motherly fashion, Jesus says, "Ah, don't worry about him. Just do whatever he says. So Jesus relents and he says, okay, fill up um, some big jars of water and bring them to me. And so they bring these big jars of water in front of Jesus and Jesus blesses them. And when they pour out the liquid that's in these containers, it's wine. And such good wine, in fact, um, that one of the people that is at the wedding goes up to the host and says, this is not normal. Usually, people take the best wine and serve it first. And as people become a little bit tipsy and their taste buds are a little bit uh, more numb, that's when you bust out the cheap wine. But this guy goes up to the host and says, you have saved the best wine for last. And it becomes this great allegory about Jesus because Jesus is the best wine that comes last. 
And so Jesus is not done here. He's just about to get the ball rolling on all of these signs. And so he then goes to the town of Capernaum, and he encounters a man there that is possessed by demons. And sometimes we get a little skittish around these stories because we think of, like, Emily Rose and the Exorcist, and we get a little queasy about this. But this was a very real affliction to the people of the first century. And so um, this man comes before Jesus, and the interesting thing about this story is that even though the people don't know who Jesus is yet, you know who does know who Jesus is? The demons. That as Jesus comes before this man, the demons that are possessing this man, they cry out, Son of the Most High God, what do you want from us? And Jesus casts them out of the man. Um, And I think in part because the people are not ready to hear that Jesus is this Messiah yet. And so when the demons are cast out, the man is so grateful. And he is thanking Jesus and praising Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, you're welcome, but one thing, don't tell anyone. So, of course, what do you think this guy does? He tells everybody in the town of Capernaum what Jesus did for him. And so as... Um, All these people of Capernaum um, hear the stories about Jesus. They start flocking to him. People who can't walk, people who can't see, those that are afflicted with leprosy, they all come before Jesus to be healed. And Jesus heals all of them. And as people start to witness these signs, the people of Capernaum begin to ask the big question, Are you my Messiah? But it gets so hectic, it gets so crazy. People are flooding Jesus, and he has no room to breathe. So eventually he has to find his way out of Capernaum um, because the crowds become so thick and heavy, and he knows that it's time to move on. And so he goes to Samaria, which is actually kind of outside the influence of the Jewish people at the time. It's a little bit north of Jerusalem. And the one thing for you guys to know is that people of Samaria and the the Jewish people, they don't get along very well. And they don't get along very well. And also, it's a very patriarchal culture. And so if you're a man... Usually you don't talk to women unless it's your wife or your mom. (laughs) And so that sets up this story where Jesus uh, meets this woman at a well. That he meets this Samaritan woman at the well. And he comes up to her and he says, will you pour me a drink? The woman's first response after that is, who are you, a Jewish man, to ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And Jesus says, well, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. And the woman is confused by this. She's very confused, and she asks, I think, a very practical question. She's like, where's your bucket? How are you going to draw water out of this well? And Jesus says, I don't come with the water that is from this well, but I come with living water that sustains us, living water that gives eternal life. You see, you will drink from this well, and in a day you will become thirsty again. But the water that I give you will never run dry, and you will never be thirsty again. And so the woman asked Jesus, well, of course, what, what could I do to get this living water that will sustain me? And Jesus says, well, why don't you go get your husband first? 
And the woman becomes a little bit sheepish because she responds, Sir, I have no husband. And Jesus responds to her. He says, I know. You have had five husbands. And the man that you are staying with right now is not your husband. And the woman is amazed because Jesus, this stranger, this Jewish man, knows everything about her already. And so they begin to talk, and he explains to her more um, what it means to have this living water of eternal life and um, begins to, to prophesy over her and tell her more things about her life. And she is so amazed at this man of Jesus that she goes, just like the last man, goes into the town of um, she goes to her town, which is in Samaria, and she tells all the people there what she was taught and what she heard from Jesus. And even the Samaritans, even the people that despised the Jews, began to ask the big question. But Jesus wasn't done yet. Um, Jesus then goes to Jerusalem, and he is there for the Sabbath. So he's in the temple. He's in church. And um, of the people that are becoming convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, you know who's not convinced? The Pharisees, the religious elite. Because Jesus is not fulfilling any of their expectations of who the Messiah is supposed to be. And so they want to expose him as a fraud. And so a man comes up to Jesus in the middle of worship on the Sabbath day. Um, and a little backstory on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is one of the big commandments. It's found in our Ten Commandments that on the Sabbath day, you are supposed to keep it holy and use it as a day of rest. And people over time reinterpreted that law to mean, well, if we're supposed to rest, you shouldn't work. And anything that's close to being work, well, we definitely want to stay away from that. In fact, they got so wrapped up in this interpretation of the law that people weren't even supposed to, like, shuffle through grain fields with open-toed shoes. Because if there was a grain of wheat that got cut in your sandal, it would be like you were harvesting. Weird, right? So they get all caught up, and so they want to trap Jesus into not following one of their commands. And so this man comes up to Jesus in the middle of service and asks for his hand to be healed. And Jesus, before he heals the man, he sees the skepticism of the Pharisees. And he says to them first, he says, Is it right? Is it better to do what is good or what is evil on the Sabbath? And then proceeds to heal the man's hand. And the Pharisees, instead of being awed and amazed by Jesus' power and his compassion, are furious. Because Jesus is upending their expectations of who they thought the Messiah would be. So when the Pharisees ask the big question, to them it's a resounding no. Because if you remember, if you're keeping track at home, um, the people's expectations that were being upended is that they expected him to be a king, someone from a royal bloodline who would rule with power and authority. And just like we saw with Nathaniel, Jesus comes to us as the son of a carpenter in the backwater town of Nazareth. And for the Pharisees, they expected this man to be holy and pious and above reproach. 
And the unfortunate thing is that they were expecting Jesus to be just like them. But Jesus doesn't act that way. He didn't fast like the Pharisees did. He didn't stay in the temple like the Pharisees did. He didn't follow the same rules that they had created around the Sabbath like they did. And so their expectations of who the Messiah was were completely upended. And so it's not just the Pharisees and the ruling class that start questioning whether Jesus actually is the Messiah or not. But even John the Baptist begins to question. So, if you remember John, because he spoke out against the ruling authorities and the religious elite, that got him into a lot of trouble. And eventually he is arrested by King Herod and thrown in jail, and he is sitting on death row. And he falls into this deep depression in which he cannot find hope. And he looks to Jesus and he has heard all the stories, both the ones that meet his expectations and the ones that don't. And he sends a messenger after Jesus asking him this question. He says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And I love the way that Jesus responds to this. That Jesus doesn't respond with a simple yes, but he invites John to ask for himself the big question. Jesus responds, go report to John what you have seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, there's two things that are really interesting about this response. And the first is pretty plain and simple. He says, look at what is happening. Look what I am doing. Can you see for yourself what is happening? And the second thing that's really interesting is that this checklist of what the Messiah should be like comes from the book of Isaiah, which John holds very dear to his heart. In fact, um, if you have your program, your, your bulletin, in the insert, um, I put in the two verses from Isaiah that line up with Jesus' response from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah 35 and 61. And so um, Jesus is basically telling John, look what I'm doing, and also do not judge me by the people's expectations. The people's expectations are wrong. He says, look at the scripture. Go back to the scripture and the prophets and then tell me, am I your Messiah? Now this search for a savior, this search for a Messiah is not something that just the people of the first century dealt with. In fact, we have a habit as human beings to look for a savior that we look for people in our lives that can rescue us from whatever situation we are in. And so what happens is that we recognize the own brokenness in our own lives, that some of us are mired in dead-end jobs, struggling marriages, and we think to ourselves, man, if we just had the right new boss, if we just had the right counselor, if we're dealing with sickness, If we say, if we had just the right doctor, then I could be saved from the situation that I am living in. But here's the thing. 
is that when we look to other human beings to save us, when we look in the wrong place for a Messiah or a Savior, we'll be disappointed. You know, we look at not just our own personal situation, but we look at the world and we see how fallible it can be. That we see poverty in the world and we see misgovernance and we see all sorts of terrible things going on. And we say to ourselves, man, if there was just one person who could come along to lead us, then everything would be better. But the truth of it is this. It doesn't matter whether you appreciate the slogan of hope and change or slogans about making our nation great again. There is no politician, there is no tech CEO, and there is no philanthropist rock star that can bring the type of healing and restoration and salvation that Jesus brings. Because here is the good news. The good news is that Jesus not only came, but Jesus is coming. That Jesus' spirit is working in our everyday lives to heal us, to bring good news to us that are struggling financially, to those of us um, who are dealing with sickness and disease. Jesus is coming today. He is coming now. And just like the woman at the well, he wants to give us this living water of eternal life. And all he asks from us is to follow him. And so when we come to Jesus and we ask the big question, my prayer for you is that you say yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you make good on your promises, that the things that you have spoken have come true, and that Jesus is the one who can heal and save and restore us, who brings eternal life through living water. God, I ask that as we get distracted, as we look in all the wrong places for salvation, God, we ask that you give us the wisdom to discern where true hope lies in you. God, I ask that you walk with us, that in our brokenness and in our current situations, that you'll walk with us, that you will breathe life and bring healing to us. God, it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.